Hello everyone, happy Monday, welcome to Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein, you know that already, you downloaded this thing. Uh, <laughs> a busy show planned for you guys today. We got hockey, basketball, baseball, and some UFC thoughts. If you have thoughts on this show, send them my way on Twitter, I'm at PrimetimeKlein. Same thing for Instagram. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. I'm on Twitch, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. The music that you are listening to provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be. New song, Drowning Out. Uh, it Absolutely fantastic. So check that one out. You can also catch their producer on Instagram, at Tommy Fresh Music. Busy show, like I said today, after a crazy weekend in sports. Although, this time of year, most of them are. You know, when you have three of the four major sports going and there's a UFC not even going to get into WNBA today but there was a wild weekend in women's basketball as well I'm probably not going to come on here for the next little while and go like huh it was a bit of a sleeper there wasn't it but we'll start with the NHL because it was the craziest of the crazy with a wild opening weekend uh, I believe once the dust settles we had four games played in the postseason three of them went to overtime and even the game that was stupid went to overtime with the Flames taking on the Vancouver Canucks which by the way if you watched that game and didn't get paid for it uh, bravo to you for being a, a better fan than I but also if you are going to be watching these games that matter not buy the 50-50 tickets and help out the, the different foundations that are being helped by those 50-50 sales online. But uh, that's already more Flames Canucks than I was anticipating talking about today. Let's get into the actual playoff games, shall we? Let's start where the playoffs started, and that's with Boston taking on Washington, a real tone setter for the weekend. And just a, a couple of observations. One, that's a hell of a win from Washington on, on home ice. Your goalie goes down with an injury. Craig Anderson comes in and an excellent showing. Uh, they end up getting the win in overtime. Just a couple quick player notes on this one. Because I, I don't know. This is one where it just kind of feels like this is going six or seven anyway. Regard Like, I, I think Boston bounces back in their game today. They're favored to do so. I, I like them on the money line. Um, I, I just, yeah. I, I, I like a, a lot of how they can play. There were stretches in that game where Taylor Hall looked like the best player on the ice. And if Boston loses this series, it's going to be, oh, well, see, guy can't get it done in the playoffs again. I thought he was exceptional on Saturday. I liked a lot of what he could provide and what he did provide out there. Another player that caught my attention was Dmitry Orlov. And he is one of those dudes where he's starting to get more of the recognition that I, I believe he deserves. I, I still think he's a little underrated. His skating is so good. He thinks the game at a high level. You can see the reads are there and he has the skating to to be able to round that out and, and make plays on it. it. It's a lot like, and I'm not comparing the two at the NHL level because one is obviously miles ahead right now, but it's a lot like what Bowen Byron was doing at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Again, different level for sure, but you can, you can see that he is thinking a step or two ahead of the play, and he has the skating ability to get there and cut her off before it gets to that point. And it's it's really, really fun to watch. So if you can just focus on him a little bit, you can see that there is a rounding out of his game that is coming along. I think a big key, and just a little tweak in this series that could help Boston out a lot, nothing kills a power play more than losing faceoffs. 
I, I would love to go back, and I'm sure someone a lot smarter than me has gone back and done this research, but like, you, you, if you were to do a deep dive into it, you would see that if you lose the opening face-off on a power play, the, the success just goes down exponentially. And it took, on the first couple of power plays, it took Boston a minute 25 to finally get anything set up. They would lose the face-off and down it goes. And Boston's one of the best face-off teams in the National Hockey League. And so I think that is something that kind of course corrects in maybe as soon as game two and just gives Boston a bit better of an advantage with the man advantage. It felt like the power plays early on in that game were more of a liability than an asset. And it felt like it let Washington get control of things early on. And, and you see when Boston wins faceoffs, how lethal they can be with that opening goal that leads to the, the goaltender injury. So I, I think that's something that if Boston can be a bit more effective in the face-off circle with the man advantage, things can really shift in their favor. That's something I'm going to be looking for in game two. The Vegas Golden Knights with some sneaky goal-scoring woes in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They get shut out through three periods plus in a game one loss to one of the official playoff teams of this particular program, the Minnesota Wild. And for Vegas now, this is 12 goals in nine playoff games. And I don't know what the fix is because you look at this Vegas Golden Knights team. I've been saying this for a couple of years. I think this is a perfectly constructed team. You have a lot of high-end talent up top, and then you have speed and guys who can play a number of different roles spread out in the, the depth areas of the team. And if someone has to step up into a bigger role, they can do that. But there's just something about the playoffs that these guys can't score. And this is why I was saying they need to add just a little bit more scoring punch to their team in the offseason. And they don't really. Uh, you, you get an offensive defenseman in Alex Petrangelo, and he has a rough one on the game winner. But I think there's enough talent on Vegas that this isn't a concerning trend. But again, it is nine games now against three teams. Eventually, it's not just, oh, well, hot goalie. Like, yeah, Thatcher Demko and Anton Hudobin. <sighs> Anyone's going to get shot up by those guys. Like, eh, are they? And again, good goalies. Uh, and Demko, I think, is going to be very, very good. And Hudobin had the run of his life for a while there. But you, you start to wonder how much of it was the goalie was hot and how much of it is the team is letting him be hot. So yeah, it's just, it, it's a bit of a concern now for a Vegas team that has had some real trouble, despite outshooting teams to high holy hell, has had some real trouble putting the puck in the net when the games matter the most. I, I picked Vegas to win the Stanley Cup, so obviously this is a trend that I do not anticipate continuing for very much longer. I, I do think they get this figured out, but if it extends, I mean, it's way too early to think this way, but if Vegas gets knocked out in this first round, I don't know where they go. Because again, I think they're built tremendously, but they got a lot of big contracts on their books for a while. One they just signed with Petrangelo. I wonder what the I wonder what the move would be in the offseason if for the third year in a row the playoffs don't go the way that the Vegas Golden Knights want them to. I again I think they will be fine, but 12 goals in nine playoff games against three different teams is it's a look. It's a look, I'll say that. And then lastly, Florida against Tampa Bay was absolute madness. Just an, a crazy, crazy, crazy game. The Tampa Bay Lightning end up winning, and I thought, I, I, I forget who it was on Twitter, so I apologize for not giving them credit, but you look at how aggressively the defending Stanley Cup champions celebrate a game one, and you know 
what the Florida Panthers put them through. And part of that could be there was a crowd there, and so that gets you a little bit amped up. Tampa Bay did not have that for this most recent of Stanley Cup runs. But still, that was a hell of a hockey game, and that was a we-have-arrived moment for the Florida Panthers to push the Tampa Bay Lightning to that brink. I, I think the Lightning end up winning that game, but I... I wonder, I, I have Carolina coming out of that side of the bracket, and I, I just wonder, this one, this is a little bit of confirmation bias, but this is one of those ones where you see how difficult this series may end up being, and we might look back on that, and that might be, that might have been Florida's last big shot. Like, that, that might have been the best shot Florida had, and I, I think you can look back on this series and think, that's one you should have had from a Florida Panthers perspective, but you, you look at it from a, a Tampa Bay versus Carolina standpoint, I think the Hurricanes have a pretty easy time with the, the Nashville Predators. Now, I, th I think the Preds will make them work, but I only think they're going to make them work for four or five games, and then the series is over. This one could go seven, and I, I think that could be a real difference when you go into the next round, and it's going to be Carolina and Tampa Bay. That's one of the reasons why I have the Hurricanes coming out of that side of the bracket. But you, you look back, um, I don't know why this is a go-to for me, but, well, some people will be able to figure out why it's a go-to for me, but... You look back to the 2011 Stanley Cup uh, playoff run for the Vancouver Canucks. They have the crazy series against the Chicago Blackhawks. But I, I I feel like the series that really messed them up was the Nashville Predators. And if the Preds aren't so damn tough to play against, I think the Canucks win the Stanley Cup. Uh, I, I think you look at Hamhuis and you look at Kessler and those two guys were forever altered by that series against the Nashville Predators. Nashville could do that again to Carolina. Absolutely they could, but I, I think Florida could do that more to Tampa Bay. And Florida is getting a lot of praise because we haven't seen them in this spot for a very long time, and all the credit in the world to them for hanging with the Tampa Bay Lightning as well as they did. But I, I do think you can be a little disappointed from a Florida Panther standpoint because if you are going to win that this series, and that's what they're here for, they're, they're not looking for the gosh golly gee we tried hard award, they're, they are looking to win this series and go on and try to win a Stanley Cup. That's what you do when you play playoff hockey. That has to be a disappointing one. That, that is... There is a world where that's as close as you come to beating Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay could very easily rattle off the next three, and all the stuff I've talked about over the last few minutes is going to be completely mute. That felt like the one Florida needed, and I wonder how they are able to respond. We'll see. A lot of their players haven't been in this situation before, so I, I am interested to see how the Florida Panthers handle this one. The, the other series, the Islanders against Pittsburgh, it was another close game, and the New York Islanders continue to just absolutely amaze. No, no Malkin for the Pittsburgh Penguins in that one. As soon as that injury news came in, it's like, oh, the Islanders are only slight favorites. Okay, click. Um, and that ends up working out. We'll see how the rest of that series goes. But overall, so much fun in the NHL. I, I do wonder if we have a bit of a, a day to breathe today. I think Boston-Washington is going to be a fun one. The other games, Carolina against Nashville. I like the Hurricanes, like I said, big in that one. And... At the beginning of the year, Colorado against St. Louis looked like a marquee matchup, but it just hasn't been there for St. Louis this year. I, I actually think Colorado gets it done relatively easily in that series. So I, I wonder if we lose a bit of the dramatics going into this one uh, today. Moving into the NBA, it's something we've talked about for a little bit now, and it is a reality. LeBron James against Steph Curry in a one-game playoff. Now, it doesn't really have that kind of stakes on it because the loser gets to play the next night or the next game uh, against the team who 
we're assuming they are going to beat anyway. So it, it, this is not a game 163 type of a scenario, but still, this is going to be absolutely amazing. These are probably these the two best players in the league right now going head to head. I, I just, I at least two of the top five. Sorry, Katie. Um, but th this is, I, I just, I, I cannot... I cannot begin to wrap my head around this. And just imagine, like the the Utah Jazz. Like, look at look how things are shaking up in the East for Philadelphia. They're going to go through either probably Boston, Boston or Washington, maybe the Pacers, definitely not Charlotte. Um, and then in the second round, they get either the Knicks or the Hawks, and then they're in the Eastern Conference Final. You look at how things are stacking up for the Jazz right now. Let's say it, it plays out the way I think it's going to. It'll be the Lakers in seven and Golden State at eight. For Utah, then, you are going through the Warriors in the first round, which they probably win, but still, Steph's going to make it work. In the second round, you get either the Clippers or the Mavericks, and then you're going to the Western Conference Final against probably the Lakers. Like, how ridiculous is that run that you are going to have to go through? And the West is a gauntlet anyway, but... If I'm the Jazz or if I'm the Suns, oh, great, yeah. Had one of the best regular seasons we've had in a very long time. This is our reward. But th this is going to be, it's just going to be fun. And again, it doesn't have the, the exact stakes on it, but it's just, it is going to be a blast to watch two of the best players go head to head. And basketball, you get these one-on-one -on -one matchups, and this is what makes this sport so great. It's like a great pitching matchup in baseball. We fantasize it about uh, about it in hockey, but we don't necessarily get mano y mano all that often because of you know teams aren't just going to stack up lines like that all the time. But in basketball, like you are going to get LeBron against Steph Curry, and this has been an interesting rivalry for a long time, and now it just gets one more chapter to it. I am so excited to see how this plays out, and and for the Lakers now, you look at how things shake up. You you get the the Warriors here. I am assuming they win this. A matchup against Phoenix is not going to be easy, but I, I don't think the bigs of Phoenix match up very well with those of the Lakers. But those guards, man, are going to be really tricky for the, the Lakers to handle with Booker and with Chris Paul. Say you get through that, you get to the, 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 the second round, and it's probably going to be against Denver, who don't have Jamal Murray, but Jokic is the MVP, and Porter Jr. is playing out of his mind. So... It is a long road to a championship again for the LA Lakers. I think they do it. They are still my pick to win the NBA title, but this is going to be the longest road anyone's had to go through to win an NBA championship just because of the play-in round. So, uh, but I, I just, the main story here is the rivalry of LeBron against Curry. They meet in the finals years and years in a row. Back and forth, one guy's won MVPs in a time where LeBron thinks he should have won one and probably could have if he didn't get hurt this year. And we'll see if his body holds up for him to win one again. But now you have a one-game playoff. It just, the, the play-in round could not have worked out any more perfect for the NBA. Even in the East, where it's not the most exciting, right? Like, you have a marquee franchise in there in Boston. You have an interesting matchup against Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, and the Washington Wizards. But this is... This is great, I think, for the league because you get a spotlight on Bradley Beal, who is a spotlight-deserving player but doesn't necessarily get it a whole lot out in Washington. And you have you have LaMelo Ball, 
who is going to get the spotlight now. And if it were in a a seven-game series against the 76ers, it's probably not going to be that great of a spotlight. People probably aren't going to pay a whole lot of attention to it, but he's going to have the national spotlight for one, maybe two games. I say one. Charlotte looks rough right now, but, I mean, maybe they, they flip that around. But, yeah, like, this is... It's putting a national spotlight on players, I think, who deserve that national spotlight. And then in the West, it's just going to be crazy because you have LeBron against Golden State. That might be the most watched game of the postseason in the NBA. And then you have, again, national spotlight on John Morant, and you have the San Antonio Spurs, who have certainly faded from the, the public consciousness over the last little while because they haven't been all that good. But you watch the Spurs play. They got some young dudes who can ball, man. Like, it's they're a fun team to watch, and I'm happy that they are going to get the spotlight. The only way it works out better is if the Pelicans had hopped the Spurs into that last play-in spot and you get jaw against Zion Williamson. And and I just, one quick thing on the Pelicans. This is the second year in a row where it has been disappointing down the stretch for them. Um, But you look at last year in the bubble, and again, I get it. It's the bubble. It's, It's different than anything else that anyone has dealt with ever. But they still really sucked in the bubble. And that was that that was one of those times where it's like, okay, how badly do you want it? And I understand that's super cliche, but this was the for all those times we hear, look, man, I just eat, breathe, eat. I screw this up every time. Look, man, I just eat, sleep, breathe the sport. Okay, well, this is your chance to prove it. And I, I thought New Orleans handled the bubble about as poorly as any team could. And then they had a real opportunity to get into this play-in round. And I don't think the Spurs really took it from them. New Orleans just kind of limped their way in. And I don't think this is a referendum on Zion or anything like that. But it's just, this is back-to-back real eyebrow-raising closes to the season for the New Orleans Pelicans. And I think next year, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them moving forward. But I'm excited for the the play-in round. We'll stick with the West. And... A matchup that is set in stone right now is Clippers against the Mavs. And I think that is going to be one of the marquee series of round one. At least it's going to be for me. It's going to get main screen, um, the the, the main screen approach, I think. However, that's going to to shake out. Bad time for your boys TV to blow out, by the way. But for the the Clippers and the Mavs, you have a a future up-and-coming superstar in Luka Doncic against the Clippers. And they have... Two superstars on their team. And there is so little buzz around this Clippers squad right now. Like, there, there's a lot of talk about, all right, well, the Jazz and the Suns, this is, it's some new blood into this race. And what are the Nuggets going to do without Jamal Murray? And hey, look at that. Steph Curry's playing in playoff games again. And LeBron is is in these play-in games. Can they do it? And, oh, and the Clippers are there too. Like, there, there's just, there is zero buzz around this Clippers team I'm interested to see what they're able to do if they, because this is not a gimme in the first round here against the Dallas Mavericks, but if this is another one that ends in the first or the second round, what do you do? Like, I, I don't think Kawhi leaves. Do you trade Paul George? How, how do you handle this? Because that was, that was terrible how it ended in the playoffs last year for the Clippers. If it happens again, what happens there? And there there's a couple what happens there that the, the drama's been taken away from them because Giannis signs that big extension. Like, if Giannis hadn't signed his extension before the season started, 
I think that there would be exponentially more buzz going into this because you have two top 10 guys with their contracts up. Like, uh, next season's an option year for Kawhi. He could opt out, and he still might just to be able to sign a bigger contract, but he, he could just opt out and just be like, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sticking around. This team isn't doing all that great. And Giannis may have had that same opportunity because this is, again, not a gimme for Milwaukee in the first round against Miami. The Heat have not played particularly well this season at all. But that Heat culture thing, we saw how much of an issue it can be in the playoffs. And I I do think that that Miami Heat team is one that can just flip a switch. And then all of a sudden... You have them taking on the, the Bucks. You look at the fire they played the 76ers with the other night. I'm so bummed that that's not going to be a second-round matchup now, that the, the the Heat weren't able to work up into that 4-5 game. But this is the next best thing going up against the, this Milwaukee Bucks team. The pressure is off Milwaukee a little bit, I think, because Giannis has signed the extension, and this is now year one with him and Holiday there. But And we'll get into this a little bit more on Wednesday's show, your window doesn't last forever in the NBA, even with a superstar. Eventually, that thing closes. And Milwaukee, it's been rough for them a couple of times in the playoffs. Like that, that losing four straight to the eventual champions in the Raptors is really frustrating for, from a Milwaukee perspective. I appreciated it. But from a Milwaukee perspective, like that sucks. And you can say, okay, well, yeah, it was the eventual champions. As much as I don't think there should be an, a side note to that Raptors championship win, you're telling me the Bucks don't beat that Warriors team? Get the fuck out of here. So that that was the NBA Finals. That that matchup between the, the Raptors and the Bucks was the NBA Finals because of how the injury situation played out. And then the next year, like they just lay a complete egg uh, against this Miami team. How do you respond now? That This is n- another team that has absolutely no buzz. Milwaukee. It's up to them to get that buzz back because if this is another whimper of a playoff series, I don't. They're another team. I don't know where they go from here. The uh, I mentioned it earlier. The playoffs are set up perfectly now for the Philadelphia 76ers. Whoever was going to get that number one seed, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how important that number one seed was going to be in the Eastern Conference. It goes to Philadelphia by a game. And Brooklyn's able to get the the big three back in the lineup for at least a few minutes in the, the last game of the regular season. But those injuries, I think, really cost Brooklyn. Because now, it's not going to be overly difficult, I don't think. Either Boston or Washington in the first round. Honestly, I hope Washington wins in the, the play-in game. Because Russell Westbrook going up against some former teammates it is just too tantalizing to, to pass up. So you have either Washington or Boston. By the way, Washington has a very real chance of winning that game. I have not liked how the Celtics have played all season long. But for for Brooklyn, you go from that, and then you do have to play either Milwaukee or Miami in the second round. For Philadelphia, they get either Boston or Washington. My prediction is Boston. And I think they eat the Celtics alive. And then in the second round, you get either the Knicks or the Hawks. Again, I don't anticipate there being a whole lot of resistance put up by either of those teams. And so you are looking at a very real chance that Joel Embiid only has to play nine or 10 games to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and to have someone who has been so focused on for so long, their health, for him to have that set up, perfect. Absolutely sets up perfectly, I think. 
for the Philadelphia 76ers. I love them. I think they're plus 250 right now to to win the East, according to Bodog. Clicked on that. Um, I think that they're I think they're a very fascinating team in the East, and I, I think it sets up just perfectly for them. But the the NBA playoffs, just like the the way the NHL playoffs have been so far, the NBA playoffs are going to be an absolute blast. Music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find their new song Drowning on Apple Music and on Spotify. Moving into baseball, and I told you, patience. Patience required for the Toronto Blue Jays, and look at that, the Blue Jays are playing some pretty good baseball right now. And yet, they still aren't playing perfect baseball. But I don't think that's a problem. And here is why. Look at the schedule. The Blue Jays have played so far this season. You have 11, they've played 11 different teams. Of those teams, six of them above 500, but the the above 500 for most of these, like this isn't just, you have a couple, like Philadelphia's 21 and 20, but you have Boston, who's a division leader. You have Houston, who'd be a division leader in almost any other division if it wasn't for Oakland, who the Blue Jays have also played. They've played the Yankees. And a couple of the teams, that, and one of the teams below 500, you have Atlanta, who's 19 and 21, specifically because they've lost all six to the Blue Jays. And you have the Angels at 17 and 22, who have been playing some very good baseball as well. And we're playing some very good baseball at the time the Blue Jays played them. Teams that I'm not mentioning on this are Baltimore. Detroit, Minnesota, Seattle, those teams that have struggled so mightily and we are projecting to be really, really bad so far or, uh, throughout this season, Jays haven't played them yet and they are still sitting in a very good spot. I believe they'd be a playoff team if the playoffs were to start today. It is still very early for that. But the Blue Jays are in this spot without getting a lick from Nate Pearson. They have what appears to be another super pitching prospect coming up in Alec Manoa. They haven't really got a lot from many of the guys they were expecting to get anything from, right? Like, you haven't seen anything from George Springer aside from one absolute bomb. Uh, very much here for a good time, not a long time so far with the Blue Jays this season. Lourdes Goriel Jr. has really, really struggled. They haven't got a ton out of the DH spot, especially when Rowdy Telez has been playing. Vlad is playing out of his damn mind, but the Blue Jays... To be in the spot they are in, with some of the guys producing as poorly as they have been, against the schedule that they have played, I think is a great spot. And if you look at how this season kind of stacks up for Toronto, if they can just be in it by late August, looking at the last 46 games of their season, over half of them are against, quite frankly, shitty baseball teams. Of the last 46 games, 25 of them are against Seattle, Baltimore, Detroit, Minnesota. Minnesota is a tricky one because they've been so good for the last couple of years and hit the absolute hell out of the baseball, but their pitching just is not stacking up. And if that continues, Minnesota has some interesting pieces that they could sell off at the trade deadline. Detroit, Baltimore, and Seattle are a couple of years away. There are exciting pieces, certainly in Seattle. I think the Mariners are going to be a real fun team to watch. I'm excited to see the Blue Jays play them. But you have all of these matchups against less than stellar teams 
late in the year. There's also obviously like the series against the Yankees, their series against Tampa Bay. You're going to have to take business, take care of business against good teams. But the schedule sets up so very well for the Toronto Blue Jays to really make a run at this thing late that I think if they can just tread water into August, they're going to be in a great spot. So this is, again, where that patience kind of comes in with guys like Kevin Biggio, who I think is figuring it out a little bit, and Lourdes Goriel Jr., who has figuring out to do. I'm not sold that Rowdy is going to be able to figure it out, but I, I am sold that the Blue Jays might be able to get someone to fill in on the, the DH side of things. Or what probably ends up happening is, like, if the outfield is all healthy at the same time, you have four outfielders for three spots. One of those guys go in, goes into the DH spot, and Rowdy Telez, once again, has to figure things out at the AAA level. But either way, you have a lot of these guys who you were expecting contributions from coming back at some point, and a schedule that's going to get a lot easier. I think things shape up very, very well for the Toronto Blue Jays. And lastly, on the show today, UFC 262, now in the books, did not do a post-fight show, it was late, and quite frankly, a couple of the decisions just absolutely drained my energy. A couple of the fights, really. Uh, first off, hopefully Jacare is okay, a back-to-back -back UFC pay-per-views with a, a busted bone just sucks, and we talked about the reverence I have for Jacare on Friday's show, if you miss any of our shows, it's a damn podcast, just go back and download them, but talked about how much respect I have for Jacare, and so to see that submission was really, really tough, and you hope it's not the end, but at 41, coming off of uh, a pretty clean fracture, you wonder if it is the end of him in the UFC, anyway, for, for Jacare Souza, but one of the frustrating things, just from an analyst standpoint, and this is something that I had trouble with on the shows back in the day, the, the predictions end up not going great. And when you put money on a couple of them, no. Nah. But from from a analysis standpoint, I think I was right on a, quite a few of those. Like you look at the, the first fight of the night, uh, Soriano against uh, Giagos. I was right on that one right up until I wasn't. Like a great first round for Soriano and then takedown choked out. Just like, what the hell happened? I, I was so right for five minutes. And you, you look at the Chukagian Araujo fight. I still think Araujo won that fight. I might be a little bit too close to it to, to make that call. I'm going to have to go back and watch. But I don't know how you give Chukagian that second round. That is just absolutely appalling. And I thought that Araujo was landing the more significant strikes throughout the fight until that third round. That third round was, imp was impressive. But I thought it's a draw at least. And if you're going to give a 10-8 round to Chukagian for the second, or for the third, then you have to give Araujo... Uh, a 10-8 for the second round. It was such a beating that people thought Chukagian tapped. That's how convincing it was. So th there was a couple of them where I, I've, I felt good about the analysis. It was just the pick I made at the end that ends up going uh, a little bit haywire. But uh, justifying myself aside, a fun night of fights. And we'll, we'll start at the top with Charles Oliveira. The thing about him, and I tweeted this out on Saturday night, he is so technically perfect that you have to stay perfect you, you either have to put him out right away or you have to stay perfect for 25 minutes and the put him out right away one just ain't happening now so you have to stay perfect for 25 minutes because of how good his technique is and it's not like Kalen Chukagian phenomenal technical striker but that was essentially cardio kickboxing the whole night like there, there there is no finish coming from that absolutely none 
I would love to see her sit down and really commit to some of those punches instead of just filling up space. But, I mean, again, it got her a win. So who am I to say? It's probably going to get her a title shot. It's going to get her killed in that title shot, but it's probably going to get her a title shot. But Charles Oliveira has that same technique, but there's power behind it. He is looking to close the show, and he did against Michael Chandler. He is so damn... It's just... It is perfection. It is, again, it is art watching... Charles DeBronx fight in the UFC's octagon. And it took him a while to get here, but he is here now. And the lightweight division, it, it's it the UFC is not a better place without Khabib in it, but the, the lightweight division just opens up so much when it's not, all right, well, this guy's going to get to number one cont contender status and now he's going to get blasted and we'll just move on. Th there is real drama at 155 pounds. I, I, I would imagine what is next is the winner of Poirier McGregor ends up getting the next title shot. I, I, If it's McGregor, you could certainly make an argument around how warranted that actually should be, but it's how she goes sometimes with the bigger names. If, if it's Poirier, then it's 100% warranted. If it's McGregor going up from six to one, yeah. But after that, like the loser of that fight, you could put them in with a Michael Chandler. I would love a Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje fight. I think that would be really, really fun. And then you see the guys outside the top five, like Tony Ferguson's not going to be there, but Neil Dariush probably takes his spot there. But you have Islam Makashev, and you have Rafael Dos Anjos. Dan Hooker, his stock falls after the Michael Chandler fight, but he is still very much a factor in that division. So you, you have some guys who can make some noise at 155 pounds. This division is going to be so much fun for the rest of the year, it, whether it be Poirier against Oliveira, if it's McGregor against Oliveira, and then whoever loses that fight going up against um, whoever it may be. I, I, I doubt it would be Tony Ferguson, although I could see Conor McGregor and Tony Ferguson may be happening, just kind of a, a dream fight if McGregor loses back-to-back -back fights to Poirier. Maybe that is the, the fight you make with him. Benil Dariush said he wants to take some time off. You want to talk about a post-fight press conference hurting a guy. That, that was a dominant performance against Tony Ferguson. Most of the talk after is about how underwhelming Tony Ferguson was, and I do believe rightfully so. But if Benil Dariush came out and was like, hey, I'm that motherfucker, then people are like, oh, well, maybe he is that motherfucker. And he, he gets an opportunity. But instead... He, he cuts a promo that I don't even think he fully knew what he was talking about. Whether you, you agree or disagree with the fighter's po politics, it's one thing. I, I don't know if after you've been hit in the face a bunch of times, if that is the right spot to make a, a political statement. And I understand not as many people are going to be watching the post-fight press conference as are going to be watching you in that ring at that time. But... It's just, it it doesn't really seem like the time and place to be putting together a, a cohesive statement uh, about the, the politics of the world. And it just, it felt very dismissive after the, the political statement. And I, I thought that he could have worked his way into this conversation because you are going to have someone kind of left without a dance partner in this whole thing with the winner of Poirier McGregor taking on Oliveira, Chandler taking on Gaethje, and now you have Dariush who's just kind of sitting there looking like the John Travolta meme from Pulp Fiction or the, the, the Will Smith meme from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is kind of looking around with, with no one to dance with. And he could have talked himself into a bigger fight, and I, I don't think he took the, the full advantage of that opportunity. But either way, the UFC, just in general, 
is in a really fun spot right now. Like you look throughout the weight classes, the, the flyweight division, we're going to get a bit more clarity on their championship situation with Figueredo taking on Moreno coming up at the, the next pay-per-view. Not the, the most uh, must-see division for sure when you look at the top 15 rankings and, and you see like, I, I thought Sch, uh, Schnell and Bontarine really had an opportunity to work their way up and the Bontarine ends up getting the win. Missing weight kind of sucks, but he's probably going to move up. But I, I don't think there's a lot of buzz coming out of that one. So uh, not the best example to start out with. But then you look at bantamweight and you have Aljamain Sterling coming off of a controversial win. He's going to get Piotr Jan again. Corey Sandhagen is an interesting fighter. Cody Garbrandt is always going to be interesting. Marlon Marais is hanging around. You have Dominic Cruz, who is in there as well. There is some intrigue there. Featherweight is a ton of fun. Alexander Volkanovsky is going to be on The Ultimate Fighter with Brian Ortega. You have Max Holloway, who's always kind of hanging around. Yara Rodriguez is a ton of fun. We just saw what Josh Emmett can produce. Uh, you, you have... Shane Burgos, who looked like he was on the come up, and now Edson Barbosa is hanging around. Hakeem Dawadu is going to be a problem at 145 pounds as well. Welterweight, Kamaru Usman is moving into pound-for-pound pound great territory, number two on the UFC's rankings. Gilbert Burns is going to be a problem. Colby Covington gets to be shut up once again. Uh, Jorge Masvidal probably, uh, we'll see where his career ends up taking him. But you just go on down the line. Middleweight, Israel Adesanya. Awesome. Marvin Vittori, new challenger. And then you have some fun fights to make behind that with Robert Whitaker and Paulo Costa, Darren Till, Uriah Hall, those guys. Light heavyweight, which has been a golden division for the UFC for so long, is kind of just the eh division right now with Glover Teixeira. And then after that, Prohachka with a, a big win. But then aside from that, it, it flatlines a little bit. Heavyweight gets real interesting with Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis, John Jones looking to move up, but then heavyweight is actually quite a bit of fun right now with some of the other guys who can make some noise. And, and heavyweight's always going to be interesting because of the, the power that gets provided. On the, the women's side of things, you have a new champion at strawweight in Rose Namajunas and then title challengers with Zhang Wei Li. Maybe another one coming up in the Carla Esparza fight next month. Michelle Watterson and Marina Rodriguez just had a fun fight at flyweight, bantamweight, and featherweight. I mean, featherweight doesn't even have rankings. And then there are fun fights to make below Shevchenko and, and Amanda Nunes, but the drama kind of runs out there. My point is that the UFC right now, there are so many fun fights to make. And that's why it's almost tough keeping track because there are fight nights every week and there there isn't really a, ah, oh, well, I can skip that one because there are important fights happening every week in fun divisions. So a good time to be a UFC fan right now. We'll get into some of the more we'll get into some of the other stories coming out of UFC 262 on our all combat show on Friday. That is going to do it for Couch Potato Diary today. Thank you very much for downloading. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. If you have any notes at all on the podcast, send them my way on Twitter. I am at Primetime Klein. Same thing with Instagram. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. I'm on Twitch, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. The music that you are listening to, provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be. You can find their producer, Tommy 
Fresh on Instagram, at Tommy Fresh Music. The new song is Drowning. Find it on YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, anywhere music can be listened to. It will be there and uh, help support those Calgary boys. It's a really great track. If you haven't got enough from me, I have a general history podcast with my wife. We had no idea. Last week, we covered the Oklahoma City bombing with a bonus episode about Ruby Ridge and about Waco. So if you want to feel really shitty about humanity for a little bit, you can tune in to that. Otherwise, going to chat with you guys on Wednesday. We're out. Mm-hmm.